0: Joseph Michelli here
1: on the live stream, and oh my gosh, I'm excited to have a friend of mine on the show today, and uh, he's like this consummate broadcaster. You'll hear it in his voice just in moments, but uh, of course, because he is the consummate broadcaster, I have technical difficulties getting on the show today. We're on on time, but without all of the green room banter that I much enjoy with my guests. And so uh, we're coming on without that, but uh, he's an old pro, so I'm not too, too worried about it. Though I do know his uh, actual instructions in trying to help people who have anxiety about public speaking is to be well-prepared and to show up early. And uh, I don't know that any of that happened in the context of today. Let me grab my actual notes because otherwise I'll just free associate my introduction of him. Um, he got his PhD from Ohio University. He taught speech communications at the University of Georgia. Go dogs! <laughs> um, and then uh, that was really the worst go dogs chant you'll ever hear. Um, he's been helping speakers take control of their message, he's been helping CEOs craft a powerful and compelling communication message for years. He has 22 years or so experience as a vice president level leader. That includes uh, a role that he played toward the end of his career as the vice president for advancement at Northeast Georgia Medical Center. Um, He sounds to me, so let me kind of take you back for a while. I had this incredible good fortune once upon a time in my career doing the first annual fathering symposium at the Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Dr. Joyce Brothers was on the bill. I was on the bill and this guy by the name of Paul Harvey was on the bill. And I remember so vividly, my father was in the audience, my son was in my arms, Paul Harvey was on stage with me. It was probably one of the most memorable times of my life as a speaker, at least certainly to that point. The person I'm about to introduce you to is my Paul Harvey. He is the person that I think has such resonance and truth and clarity of speech style. He is one of the kindest men I know. I'll stop talking about him and bring him on board. Bill Lampton, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. One former DJ to another, right? Oh my gosh, you know, I I, uh, I think you're continuing as a DJ. I gave it up somewhere along the way, but you still are doing uh, some uh, some radio, aren't you?
0: Yes, I have a weekly radio show that I co-host here in Gainesville, Georgia where my co-host and I spotlight local businesses. We interview them. We've been doing this for a while, and it's interesting the way I met this co-host. You know, Joseph, we always talk about different ways of marketing. Well, there's a wonderful restaurant here in town that lets people put their business card on a bulletin board there. And, And I did that as probably several hundred other people did to shorten the story a little bit, this guy called me and said he wanted some speech coaching. He was a financial advisor. We got together and worked together. And then after a while, he started a radio show. So he had me on as a guest a few times. This was maybe seven or eight years ago. And then finally, he said, why don't we just co-host? So we've been co-hosting a show for seven or eight years now. It's, uh, It's a great kick. I started my uh, radio show way back when in a small town, McPherson, Kansas. And I, like you, did everything, emptied the wastebaskets. Uh, uh, you, you found out what you could do in three and a half minutes when that record was on, didn't you?
1: Exactly. And you you got three and a half minutes in your head, too. That was a, <laughs> That's right. A, a, a 60 seconds, 30-second spots. You really Got a sense of what that time looks like. You know, I want to I want to go through your career because I think it's a storied career, but I love this, this starting point right there because it speaks to just being present with opportunities. It speaks to creating relationships without knowing what the outcome of the relationship is going to be. And it speaks to the fact that some of the best things that come from relationships aren't microwavable. They just appear some years later and look at how long long of a run, you two have gotten together, thanks to a a business card, which we may have to translate for some of our younger listeners what that concept is, or a bulletin board for that matter. Um, But uh, just that presence. uh, Can you talk a little bit about how that's played in your career, that sort of just being aware and then nurturing relationships?
0: I think it goes back to one of my favorite statements. You may have been acquainted with Dr. Wayne Dyer. I never was. I read his books and was very fond of his books. And one of his statements that I found so compelling is that there are really no accidents in the universe. We may think there are. Of course, there are bad accidents, the car accidents, the fires, the building collapses, and so many others are bad accidents. But if we're open to possibilities it is absolutely amazing what can happen from what might seem to be happenstance circumstances such as you say a good illustration putting the um, my business card on a bulletin board and as my radio colleague and i have told that to some of our guests every one of them says gosh we've never heard of that happening before <laughs> no but some of the things that you have never heard of happening uh, are, are very pivotal. And that's a word we're using a lot these days, but they're very pivotal. You have to be open to those kinds of things.
1: Well, you know, if you go onto uh, your website, uh, businesscommunicationguide.com, uh, you know, there's constantly access to information. You're a voracious reader. Uh, you bring up examples of every single stripe and shape, whether that's Harry Truman or you know or Wayne Dyer or whoever it might be. I, I have no Harry Truman stories, but I'll give you a quick Wayne Dyer story. When I was a young person, uh, I got to meet Wayne Dyer. Actually, had lunch with him one time, and and it was I was just championing how much the Erroneous Zones had meant to me and the Sky's yes. the Limit, and all those kind of books. And and he said, well, you know, maybe. And I was pitching maybe we could do an Erroneous Zones. Workbook, and he said, "Write me, and and let's see if we can't do something." So I wrote him, and I got this very nasty letter back from his agent, Arthur Pine. I'll never forget it to this day. It was so I guess you will vicious, right? And he, you know, whereas whereas this limitless opportunity was what you know Wayne was talking about. His agent immediately said, "You will not write this with him. He does not need a co-writer." And by the way, if you ever publish it, we'll have a cease and desist order and. I thought it was so interesting how sometimes people surround themselves with these individuals who are kind of the antithesis of what their essence is. And, uh, and you
0: wonder if Wayne Dyer knew about that.
1: Yeah, I would have never gotten to him again, right? I mean, I had a happenstance meeting. I could never re-engage him. And it wasn't like today where the internet does allow us for somebody to reach out to to Bill Lambton, And the high likely is if they reach out to you at Biz Communication Guy, they're going to get you, right? You're not going to have a a team of people who make it impossible for people to have access to you.
0: I think that's one of the great things about today. And and there's a friend of mine who I interviewed, Linda Swinling, has written a book, Ask Outrageously. And that was one of the most fascinating books and one of the best interviews. Of course, I've had the privilege of interviewing you which is a stellar occasion. But Linda's book, Ask Outrageously, said throughout the book that many of us could get more top-level acquaintances. We could get more affiliations with even famous people like Joseph Michelli, if we just ask. And by the way, Joseph, uh, I have just one request. I know you've got Stronger Through Adversity. Another book coming out December twenty second. My only request: I hope you stopped then. I mean, my bookshelf back here is overflowing with
1: Shelley books. You've you've
0: flooded my bookshelves, Joseph. Please, um, you got.
1: I, you know, I got I'll find room. I'll uh, I'll get a screwdriver and and open up one of the sides of your bookshelf. I bet you. And, you know, you've you've uh, you've created uh, some interest already. I think you, you must have mentioned Kansas because Joe Young from Kansas sends a good morning greetings to you today. So I uh, was that in reference to your radio uh, career where you, did you do radio in Kansas? Is that what you said?
0: Yes. And and it's interesting how that happened. I had, um, I had had a long time interest as a professional communicator, of course, in radio. And I'll go back just a little bit. You mentioned University of Georgia and by the way, that was really something for a Florida guy to give a go dog's bark there. I, I <laughs> yeah
1: well, I, I don't know what the old Miss uh, you know yell is, so I, I did it one tight. of your two. How do tight it would be old Miss yeah okay all right but anyway uh, so let me let me we'll talk about your radio station thing. let me just let me give people a little more context for you before we get too far. Let okay me, um, let me first and foremost say that the first book that I'm aware of, you writing. Let me get myself out of here, so it's just you in this picture. The first book I'm aware of you writing is the Complete Communicator. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about that. And then who's that
0: young guy? Who's that young guy on the
1: cover there? I'm telling you, at Photoshop. I mean, that's all there is to it. It's just you. A couple of days back, uh, and then the other book that is available. Uh, again, both of these books can be located through you. They're both on Amazon. This is uh, something that I think is a big, big value proposition for people to come to your website and learn more about how to get their hands on this. But, you know, 25 ways to control your stage fright. We're going to be talking about both of these books in kind today, but I wanted to make sure that I I shared them with you. You know, I, I believe I know that one of your first speeches was in a federal correctional facility or in a penal correctional facility. So I think that we should start with how does a guy who ends up writing these books about You know communication. How does he start his career, and then why should people really be attentive to this? Because my my gut, and you know, I'm all the time out in front of people as are you. But my gut is that a lot of people would almost rather do anything else than have to prepare a speech or stand up in front of a group of people and try to share their ideas. Give me a little bit about your journey and the value proposition of of managing stage fright.
0: Yes. Well, first of all, Joseph, The Complete Communicator, the first book is not still in print. It's not available. But uh, uh, the book about uh, stage fright, 25 Ways to Control Your Stage Fright. And notice, please, that I say control your stage fright. I don't say uh, you can go online and you can find a lot of people who promise to get rid of your stage fright. I don't want you to get rid of that anticipation of giving a presentation. And an illustration I'll use is that, as a University of Georgia faculty member, I started going to their football games a long time ago. And I've been to, I counted recently, over 250 home football games, long after I left the faculty there. And one thing I often use as an illustration is this, what if you went to a major football game, or all of them are major to us, I guess, you got uh, 80 or 90,000 people there. The teams come out from each end of the stadium, and they go, instead of going out and slapping each other and jumping around and high-fiving each other, they go over there and they sit on the bench and start yawning. (laughs) What, What kind of game do you think you would have? No, you want them to be energized, and audiences want us to be energized as well. So I say there is a... There's uh, a distinct advantage. I often say, when I'm coaching somebody on speaking, I'd much rather have to tame a wild stallion than wake up a sleeping mule. So.
1: <laughs> well, you know, let me, let me that kind of folksy wisdom is reflected in the book. You know, I've, I've read through it, so it's not like I'm uh, I just talking about without having read through it. What I think is most amazing about it is how practical it is. It's just like... These are the things you need to do to be successful. It's not a lot of, you know, philosophical elements of what it takes. I mean, that's probably as philosophical as you'll get, which is, you know, you do need to have some level of arousal and awareness and adrenaline to be effective. But you need to control it, to use your word.
0: Yes. And and don't let the Ph.D. fool you. As you say, this is not a footnoted book, and it's also a very brief book. It's probably only about 25 pages, but the tips and strategies that you will get in there about controlling your stage fright and becoming a, becoming a highly confident speaker, it's well worth those pages.
1: Oh, um, definitely. So I strongly encourage people to stop, stop by if they have themselves or maybe their kid, uh, this is accessible to any reading level, which I think is also exciting. Um, if they have a child who's you know kind of anxious about speaking in front of class and any of those sort of things, this has great applicability uh, to them. Maybe not some of the travel to their you know their speaking engagement preparedness stuff, but uh, that notwithstanding, none of us are traveling anyway to give speeches these days, it seems. Um, let's let's kind of take it from stage fright. So we have that, and you're helping people manage through that, control through that and be effective in their communication. But the value proposition I see and, and there's your you have a you know, top echelon clients, uh, including people from the Ritz-Carlton, for which you know, I've written books. Um, you have a lot of amazing clients who've worked with you as leaders in organizations, be they small companies, or midsize or large companies, and those I'm not even on camera here. I'm so so eager talking to you. I'm just like I'm a voice. I'm I'm the voice of God in the room. You can't really see me um, now. I'm on camera. Um, the you know I think the thing is that whether it's small, mediums or large, you've helped leaders be more effective. So it's one thing to have a role where you have to speak, and it's another thing to speak in a way that people will listen uh, and you'll have impact. Can you talk a little bit about the coaching element? of what you do and why people need a coach uh, to be successful as a speaker.
0: We need a coach because it's uh, it's a truism, but it's true that none of us see ourselves or hear ourselves as others see and hear us. I would imagine anybody who's uh, in on our conversation today, Joseph, remembers quite well, and maybe with a good bit of shock, the first time that they heard their voice, a recording of their voice, and maybe more so uh, the first time they ever saw themselves uh, speaking on video, and that way they had the, the visual plus the audio. And because we can't see ourselves and hear ourselves objectively, it's not only highly beneficial it's necessary if we're going to become highly persuasive highly effective highly entertaining communicators we need some someone else to see what our flaws are and also to spot our potential and help us develop that
1: you know i don't think you mentioned nigeria Uh, Yeah. Uh, You did mention Kansas and we ain't got your Kansas folks in, but you've been sandbagging me. Uh, I wish I could actually pronounce the name of this individual. Lucey. I'm, I I would love to have you in your chat box. Just actually give me your correct pronunciation. I hate chewing up people's names like that, but thanks for joining us from Nigeria today. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, it's kind of, we're we're getting, we're getting outside of our local zip code. Um, All right. So, whether it's in Nigeria that I'm hearing myself speak for the first time or seeing myself on camera, there is a, a difference between what we sound like to others and what we think we sound like in our own head or what we think we look like uh, to others. So part of the coaching is to be, I mean, do you actually have them videotape their speeches, audio tape their speech? What's the technique? Do they just role play speeches with you? What's, what's the way they get feedback in their relationship with you?
0: Video is the key. There was a time, of course, when video was not as cost effective or as as accessible as it is now. And I can remember, as you can, Joseph, when we first started producing videos, you might have a you did have a camera. And you could, you could record it pretty quickly, but getting it into the computer was a laborious task. And now people who are just coming onto the scene, I want them to know you're really blessed that you have access to easy, fairly easy to learn and very cost-effective equipment. And yes, I do use video. And I'll use a personal experience here. I had a I had an opportunity once to, well, two or three times to, um, I guess, speak on a really fun venue. And that was to be an enrichment lecture on a cruise ship. Did that about four times. The first time I remember doing that, and this was back in the days of videotape, the host asked me as I got onto the ship, would I let them videotape? my presentations, and they said, would that be okay? And I said, under one condition, please, and that is that you'll give me a copy of the videotapes. And I did that for a reason, because when I ended that cruise, got home, I spent several hours watching those with pen in hand, taking notes, and as would be the case with any other speaker, I found all kinds of mannerisms that I had, in gesture and movement and some in vocal repetition that I had no idea that I had. So in that case, I became my own coach, but that's what I do with other, with clients. I will videotape them, usually 10 to 12 minutes is enough. We'll sit and watch the results and we'll let them and me together decide what can what can be improved. And then, of course, with those in mind, we reshoot it. We do it again, applying what we have learned. And then I, of course, let them have the videotapes. Uh, I, I emailed them to them to take home, and it's not videotapes anymore. I, I let them have the, um, the YouTube private version, and they can uh, watch that again and again. And it's been very effective. The One thing I constantly say, and you and I know it, the camera
1: doesn't lie. You know, it's one of the things about you is when I watch you speak, you are very clear. Your articulation is impeccable. You're a southerner, so there is accent. It it it's an appealing, approachable accent. You don't, and I know I've read your blogs about you know accent, the relevance of accent. there is a lot that's going on here. I I remember reading, and I think it's maybe in your book about not starting with a joke. There's so many things to consider to be a professional communicator. And I think a lot of people think, hey, look, I'm good at talking. I've been doing it my whole life. You know, like I get it. Uh, But with effectiveness, when it matters most, when you're trying to influence or persuade or cajole or nudge or encourage there's an art to this. And you've been studying this a couple of years. Um, So let's, let's go back to what I tried to get at and then I jump around. How did you get started? And talk to us about your first speech and why you're credible as a coach of speakers beyond the fact that you're amazingly articulate.
0: Bless you for that, my friend. My interest in speaking started in a required basic speech class, and most people don't take them until they're required, of course. But I was a a student in my home state of Mississippi at Millsaps College, small college. We had a required speech class. What impressed me the most was that if a student prepared thoroughly had a good idea, presented it with enthusiasm and obvious conviction and supporting material, I was truly astounded, Joseph, that they could change opinions within the 10 to 12 minutes that they had and even change behavior. At the same time, I, I was a history major at the college. I noticed. You don't have to be very observant to notice this. I noticed that every major event, crusade, revolution, major change in history had one or more great communicators behind it. I was a World War II student. And of course, there was Hitler on the one side with the the evil rhetoric and counteracting that. We had FDR and Churchill on the other side, saving democracy. And then there was the nonverbal communication. We think that started with Dr. Martin Luther King. It didn't. It started with Mahatma Gandhi. And in fact, in graduate school, I wrote a paper comparing the two of them. Uh, um, Mahatma Gandhi was a role model for Martin Luther King. So as a student, I, I saw speech and action in the classroom. I saw it as a part of history and then in society itself, I was watching uh, the civil rights movement came along and I noticed how Rosa Parks with her nonverbal communication and Dr. Martin Luther King and many others with their speeches changed our entire way of relating to an entire culture.
1: You know, it's to me, as I listen to this, I I get mesmerized by you because in many ways, I think the power of the word in written form or in oratory is just elegant when, when thoughtful, right? Like when people really think about the art and craft of it and the intentionality of their message, and maybe that's it. Maybe we've gotten to a point where we communicate mostly in 140 characters we fire off something, you know, without a lot of thought, fairly impulsive. Those rare opportunities to, and and I know you've written tons of articles in lots of different places, most of which about communication and communication effectiveness, but there's something special about crafting a message, right? And and it seems like to me, you're always looking at how people have crafted message. I mentioned, you know, uh, I think, FDR maybe earlier on You're if you look at your blogs and your articles and your writing, it's often looking at what the best, best craftsmen did. Crafts women did at different points in history to get their message effectively across whether it's Gandhi or whoever you might be referencing, but that's your tool. Isn't it a lot of understanding and dissecting and helping others see it? Yes.
0: And in any endeavor that we're trying to learn, I was, um, I started golf uh, at age 13 and played golf for many, many years. And I had role models there. I had coaches. I had uh, playing companions that I liked to see what they were doing that worked well. And I benefited from all of that in anything that we're trying to improve, whether it's our writing, our speaking, our golf, our bridge game, whatever it is. This is why coaches, for example, athletic coaches, are paid such enormous sums. Why? Because they bring out the
1: best in their players. So I uh, I will get myself back in the screen there. Um, Nick Saban. I know you've written about him, like making nine point one million dollars or something. In one of your it's articles.
0: up to thirteen million. I think. Okay,
1: all right. I was I'm way behind the news, but I actually spoke on stage with him in Atlanta. Kind of your part of the world in Georgia, at least. Um, and, you know, he flies in in his private jet and he comes in and speaks for an hour and then the flight private jet takes him to his, his other home in Florida. I was really feeling sorry for him. And then uh, he worked for a Mercedes-Benz. He got a Mercedes-Benz dealership and uh, yeah, I mean, coaches do pretty well, but they have to deliver results. And That's right. those results come from good planning, but also effective persuasive communication. Um, and you're you're coaching people on how to do that very thing, be effective as communicators. Are we ever going to tell the story of the prison? Because I brought it up now twice. I now people are going to think you're an inmate or something if I don't get to closure on it. Do you want to?
0: Think I'm an inmate? Well, <laughs> uh, what what happened uh, with my working in the federal penitentiary in Atlanta when I was teaching at the University of Georgia in the speech communication department? The department head circulated. A memo one day saying we're going to have one of our faculty members teach in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary this summer. The University of Georgia has started an extension program there, and someone is going to teach the basic speech course. Joseph, I did not let that memo hit my desk. I took it, I walked around to the department head, and I said, I want to do this. So for six weeks, two and a half hours per session twice a week, I went and taught 31 inmates. I'll, I'll never forget, of course, the first night when I walked in and you hear those huge doors clang shut behind you. And I said to a guard, I'm here to teach a class for the University of Georgia. How do I get there? And I thought he'd say, I'll escort you. And he said, I don't care, stairs or elevator. <laughs> go, go whichever way you want. But it was a, a, a wonderful experience. And I've sometimes said it's the only captive audience I ever had. But these uh, these men were, were uh, very responsive and they were eager to learn how to com- communicate effectively. Many of them had never had any training along that line. And so we had uh, a situation where I couldn't have each one of them give a speech 31 of them three times during that period so we had them videotape their speeches some of them and I would take them back to the university and watch them and critique them that that was um that was a great experience and of course every night I left there with my car keys and went back to my warm home I've had a, a special feeling of gratitude for freedom ever since then
1: you know I uh I, I guess there were times I probably got angry at God and said like, why didn't you give me another six inches of height and, you know, a, a better burst of speed, you know, as I started to run. But I know that, that one of the things he did give me was the ability to use words to help.
0: Marvelously,
1: marvelous. That I, yeah, I wasn't looking so much for that, but I mean, that is a gift that he gave to me. And I, I'm so grateful for it because I can't imagine, I can imagine that some of life's problems come from not being able to articulate and influence people constructively. And so this frustration and resorting to you know physical aggression and all kinds of other ways to try to get your needs met because you can't find a, a way to do it in a more civil discourse. Uh, by the way, you owe me uh, and Robbie's gonna owe me too because he's gonna get the benefit of your book. So uh, both of you owe me. Robbie owes me because I got him connected to you. And you owe me the commission on your $7 book or whatever. Your, your uh, check
0: is in the mail.
1: I think I think that cup of coffee should be coming <laughs> here pretty soon. Hey, Robbie, thanks for picking up uh, Bill's book today and being a part of the show with us. Um, so we've got these couple of levels. we got just, you got, a, you got a basic anxiety about speech. Obviously, a book is a good format for that. You want to be a more effective communicator. There's coaching that can be done with you. Uh, Robbie's happy. Um, there's coaching that can be done with you. Let's talk about the basic process of uh, of coaching. You don't have to get locked up in a federal prison to become a, a client of yours. I've, I've concluded that's probably true. Um, but what do I do? I reach out to you on your website. Uh, you sit and talk with me about what the options are. I mean, what are we talking about here? Am I gonna, this is gonna be too expensive for people to actually benefit from your services. What's up?
0: One of the things that I, I like to do, I start out with someone who's interested in becoming a speech coaching client. We, of course, do talk about the format, the plan, the investment. And the very first thing I do is I, I send them a, a, a page which is going to become a discussion point for us, and it's called, What's Your Communication IQ?, I have 20 questions on there. I ask them to uh, write down their answers and then our first conversation is about that. And the 20 question, uh, what's your communication IQ? Those 20 questions involve, for example, the rate of speech, the uh, place of humor in speaking, the uh, type of preparation that's most effective, and And so that's a good starting point for us, and it it gets us in the framework of what we're looking for in building a a, a skilled speaker. And then, from that, of course, we get into what you and I've talked about earlier, where they do their demo speeches, we critique them, and then we then we do them again and make sure that, some of the points we mentioned in our coaching are being improved in the second versions. And naturally, now, as you mentioned, we probably are not likely, and certainly we're not confined to doing that in person anymore. like heaven for Zoom. We can do those live sessions through Zoom, and then I send them recording.
1: You know, I was. Uh- I uh, had started in radio when I was 13. So uh, that was my first job in radio. Uh, and it was a small town in Canyon City, Colorado. K-R-L-N. Uh, you always had to say it in a way that didn't sound like you're saying, Carolyn, Carolyn Radio.
0: Well, mine um, was K-N-E-X. And I I was I always thought of Kleenex when I said it. It sounded like an abbreviation for Kleenex.
1: So, but, but I got to tell you, I, as a radio jockey, I was always talking really fast and seemed to have really kind of quick you know, utterance, and I still do. My basic personality style is to speak rapidly. Um, but I, I went to graduate school and I had a professor who was the number one professor, you know, from a, as rated by students for his classroom presentation, Scott Frazier, uh, introductory psychology, USC, about 3000 students would cram into a giant auditorium. And then I would work as a teaching assistant for him in the lab, so I'd have about 30 students. And I would watch him and he was mesmerizing. He was fabulous. He was experiential, you know, he would, he would have somebody run in and do something and then he would interact and it was all part of his setup. He was amazing. But the cool part was that he would come into my lab and he would sit down and he would do a running time assessment of this. And it would be things like 20 minutes before the thing, your board is not completely prepared yet. It should have been prepared. There's no way you can be getting in the right mindset to be, you know, it was very crazy good. And I remember being so annoyed because it wasn't a voluntary relationship. I wasn't asking him to coach me. I was getting this feedback whether I wanted it or not. I think it'd be so amazing if people, you know, reached out and said, I want to grow as an effective communicator Let's engage this conversation collectively instead of getting, you know, a thirty-page document of everything you did from beginning to end of your presentation. All that said, I'm a much better speaker thanks to Scott Fraser. So, and
0: that that underscores something I certainly don't want to leave out, and that is that I have coaches and I have mentors. I've had for the twenty-three years I've I've been a consultant, professional speaker coach, I certainly don't. I I need tune-ups occasionally myself, and thank God, Joseph, I've had some people who, uh, I ran from technology during the 20 years I was in management. There was always somebody to delegate it to, but then all of a sudden, here I was a solo act. There was nobody to dedicate it to, and I found two or three magnificent pioneers in the internet who took me under their wing for uh, the right price, of course. And I still rely on them. And I've had some wonderful speaking role models. And one of these tech guys that I mentioned, this was back in the days when we would produce an audio CD and I handed it to him and I said, "Um, would you please listen to this as you drive back to uh, Florida? And he said, yes, I will. So, naturally, I was awaiting his appraisal, and when I called him, I said, "What did you think of it?" He said, "Well, sounded like you were reading it <laughs> That may not be what I wanted to hear, but it was what I needed to hear and that's what coaches are for is to tell us not what we want to hear, not just to praise us, praise us, although they will commend us when there's something uh, worth observing that, that you want to keep doing, but a good coach, uh, is one who l- looks at the foibles. What's the old saying? Warts and all, and, and helps you get rid of those.
1: Well, and I think, well, again, these are tips that you have in your book. So I don't really want to give away the entire farm, but, you know, I, I work with lots of CEOs who, are still scripting their speeches, uh, though that is not what you recommend. Um, dance, dance, and they over-rehearsing dance. them, which is also not what you recommend. No, no, no. Um, this ability to have a plan and effective execution of that plan in your communication, but still have it be authentic and and in the moment is an art form. And, and I, you know, so I'll do these, and obviously this is not scripted. There is nothing about this that has been pre-programmed. But when I'm doing like a three to five minute weekly uh, vlog, video blog, I, I do have a teleprompter. And so learning how to communicate based on a teleprompter, I mean, that's an art form. How do you share that so it doesn't look like, then uh, thank you for joining us today, <laughs> right? I mean, it's there's so much art to this. And I wanted to get back to one quick other point, which is that You know, there are certain things we have to be reasonably competent on, um, like understanding enough about the technology that we can figure out who to hire. Something like communication, you can't farm that out. That's not delegatable, right? You've got to learn this skill in your lifetime. And I'd say the more you master it, the more successful you are. So uh, I I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'd love to get your two cents on that.
0: And and to me, there's a direct correlation. There's There's so many people that that I've observed in in my 20 years of management who could never move above the level they were in currently because they could not address, for example, a departmental meeting with any level of confidence or any, any charisma or any real presence, which is a word you used earlier. And you and I have Heard that old saying, one of the great keys of of success is just showing up, be present.
1: Yeah, you do a great job, not only on the concept of present, but another P that I love of yours is perception. You spend a lot of time on understanding that this is an art of perception, right? It's not just an art unto oneself. It is only as good as the receiver um, in terms of your communication effectiveness. And let me get back
0: just one minute to what you were saying about uh, the way we prepare. And you deal sometimes with with executives who have scripted their remarks. That is very old style. Uh, What I like to say about speeches or I would say about our getting together today or any type of communication event, it's great to have it planned, thoroughly planned but not canned. And so I say, I'm a little leery of the word delivery. Here we have this package that we're going to deliver to an audience. I like to think of it as um, you're not having a speech to your audience, you're having a conversation with your audience. And it's almost as though I want to say, let's leave delivery to FedEx and the post office and UPS and let's just have a conversation with our audience, which brings up a very important point. We don't have to be perfect. And when, I, when I'm when i working with a client, I give them a sheet of, of things to do or not to do. And I mis- misspell the word perfect intentionally. Because if you try to be perfect, people don't want robots. They don't want mannequins. They want a real person talking to them. Almost well, wait, I gotta jump
1: in. Nancy is just super brilliant. We got three PhDs here. My uh, gosh. I love her candor with this because I think it's the absolute perfect lane, right? The big challenge is making sure you get your content out, not following a script and also calming your anxiety. It's like, so my anxiety is I'm not gonna get my content out or my anxiety is I'm <laughs> gonna follow this, I'm gonna be too scripted. Um, Nancy, blessings to you. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's the challenge, right? I mean, spontaneous, but content right and not looking like an idiot in the process. The main thing I would say
0: to Nancy, first of all, thanks for chiming in, Nancy. But the main thing I would say is the speaker has one incredible advantage that the audience may not ever think about. And that is that nobody in the audience knows what you intended to say, what you meant to say, and when you get to the end of it, what you didn't say. So, you yeah, really- no, no,
1: That's the problem is our own voice sometimes is so busy having its conversation. It's hard to stay in the moment. Again, in your book, I know that you talk a lot about being ready so that you can be present in the moment. So that preparation is important, but then being able to stay in the moment, not get trapped in the dialogue that, that, you know, there's only one speech that should be going on at a time.
0: (laughs) Yes. And, and it's, um, I like to say it's almost, it's not as much off the cuff, but it's the same type of thing. I like the approach, the thought, at least you run into a friend at the grocery store do you worry about exactly how you're going to pronounce everything you're saying? What if you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, Joseph, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we give ourselves more permission in that informal setting than we do when we're tasked to be the speaker, but, but, you know, we have to be effective in each case. Let me, Look, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I want to make sure that we we do a couple of things. We've got bizcommunicationguy.com. They go there, they're going to learn about your coaching. So I want to make sure that that's the case. They can pick up your book on stage fright for you know a whopping seven bucks or something. Uh, and then there's also the opportunity for you to do speeches. I know you're doing some virtual speeches these days, but you, you definitely are out on the circuit talking about things. There's plenty of testimonials on your website about the impact of your own speeches, so uh, clearly. Uh, that's the case. Let me uh, do my lightning round. If you're okay with that. Anything else you want to pitch before I go? I'm going to make sure I give you your big old pitch lane right now. Throw it. Well, the closing comment
0: I would like to make is that we all, everybody who's ever going to face an audience, change your opinion about audiences They do not want you to fail. They want you to succeed. Why? Because if you've ever been in an audience, and I'll bet you have when the speaker failed, it's just as uncomfortable for them as it is for you. So I like to say your audience, they're not your critics. They're your cheerleaders. And the main thing, Joseph, everybody who listens to Joseph Michelli, when they're sitting in your vast audiences, The one thing they're thinking primarily is, you know, I'm glad he's up there and not me.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that better than imagining everybody in the audience is naked. That, that, that would be quite distracting. That just made me scared of my audience. <laughs> um, so I, I like the notion that they're actually cheerleaders. Uh, and I, I do believe that. And I often look for the people with the, with the nurturing eyes, right? Like yes. the people who you seem to really them. want it so that I can feed off of them. But that's just me. All right, here's the rapid lightning round. Are you ready? Go to bizcommunicationguy.com to get to, to know him better. But I'm going to get you to know him better in a couple of minutes. Quick lightning round. You have no idea this is coming. So here you go. You just react to these with whatever's on your mind. Don't overthink it. Don't plan your speech. Got it? All right. Impromptu. Little, little Georgia. Little Georgia. Little Georgia.
0: Little Georgia is my puppy, six years old, the uh, pride and joy of my life. Yes, my major companion. In fact, if anybody, saw the movie Cast Away, sometimes I call her Wilson. (laughs) Here we are,
1: stranded together. Uh, Well, that ties into the next one, actually. Maybe not quite as smiling uh, in the ultimate sense. Sandra Watson Lampton.
0: Sandra Watson Lampton went to her heavenly home uh, a year ago in October, after being my lifelong companion. Uh, We, started dating. I was the older guy. I was 17. She was 14. I said later, she got older than me, but she never accepted that. But she was a wonderful wife and mother and a magnificent teacher.
1: And we rode through that together, buddy. We did. You've been nothing but class in the way. Well, you've been a marvelous support for me on that. Let's go to the other women of your life. Shelly Lampton Jenkins and Suzanne Lampton Derrick. Those two
0: daughters, they are whirlwinds. Shelley Lampton Jenkins is a speech pathologist in Savannah, Georgia, and had the great privilege of being a majorette for four years at University of Georgia that just happened to coincide with the Herschel Walker years. So she performed as a majorette in three Sugar Bowl games. Well, I'll a- give
1: her the Georgia connection, but uh, and then did you go to your other daughter? Or did I cut you off? Right? No, we,
0: we. Suzanne is a uh, is a pharmacist working in a veterans hospital just outside uh, Columbia, South Carolina.
1: So, two quick um, ideas here on George Ben Lampton and Nell Jarvis Lampton.
0: My parents. My parents. My father. Was a great role model for me in many ways. He was a, uh, he managed a family department store for almost 50 years. He had a great work ethic. And we knew, Joseph, that his life on this earth was about to end when he went home from work one week early. Wow. And my mother, uh, they met uh, coincidentally, and no, there are no coincidences, remember, but they were both patients in a tuberculosis sanatorium in California. Wow. That that was how they met, married in the 1920s, married for, I believe it was 52 years.
1: Talk about stronger through adversity. Um, All right, always push the up button, real quick answers now, always push the up button.
0: Always push the up button is the key motivational speech that I have given many times. And I, I like to show a picture of an elevator where you've got an up button and a down button. And I say that life is like that. We make a choice every day. Are we going to push the down button and have all those consequences mentally and even physically happen to us? Or are we going to push the up button and enjoy the, uh, the greater times in life?
1: I have two more notes here on my little uh, cheat sheet of, background research I did on you, the rec hall in Columbia, Mississippi. <laughs>
0: the rec hall, uh, not W-R-E-C-K, but R-E-C, rec hall. The recreation hall was where, as in uh, the movie Grease or Animal House or some some of those other teenage movies, this is where the gang gathered on Friday nights. And we, of course, had a Wurlitzer jukebox there <laughs> and danced and shot pool and and that was the hangout and we got our our hot dogs and cokes and chips probably for 25 cents total
1: oh wow and then finally atlanta golf classic you broadcasting pga tour event on wsb radio
0: marvelous opportunity i'll never forget it i was teaching at uga university of georgia they had a contest with wsb radio for someone to who, who won the contest to broadcast, help broadcast the tournament, and also play in the pro am. I did enter the tournament my first entered the contest my first year, didn't win it. Second year I won it. So I played in the pro-am, never forget that 7:30 AM tea time, played with a golf pro big at the time, Mason Rudolph. And then in uh broadcasting the game, I got to have one-on-one interviews with Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, other top players. And uh, I, as I, I do remember, I was staying with a friend in Atlanta, and I was at the course at 7 o'clock every morning, wide-eyed and and very excited
1: about it all. This was all done so that people get to know the Bill Lampton behind the coach and hopefully they'll reach out to you at bizcommunicationguy.com. If you or someone you love is uh, wanting to become more effective in your communication strategies and approaches, techniques, practical tools, Bill Lampton at Biz Communication Guy is the guy to to, uh, go with there. I want to just do a couple of quick uh, merciless plugs and then I'll say goodbye to you here. Let me uh, first say that we are just about to launch Stronger Through Adversity. Oops, I got to get on the other side of my book, Uh, strongerthroughadversity.com. You can find out more about that. Um, I would very much welcome you taking a look at it. It'll release in a couple of weeks. Uh, 140 senior leaders talking about how they manage adversity. That's everybody from Brian Cornell, CEO of Target, uh, Michelle Gass, CEO of Kohl's, and Hans Vestberg, CEO of Verizon, so many others. So I hope Joseph,
0: you- Joseph, I've got an advanced copy. I'm going through it and it it is it is a great playbook for the times that we're going through.
1: I'm trying to get over to you now so I can get rid of my banner here. Uh, yes, thank you. That's very kind of you to tag that. One other quick little uh, tags that I would like to have for you to consider. If you find value in these, you can certainly share them. I'm always eager to have people- share this particular um stream so that you know somebody else might have an interest in what bill shared today please feel free to do that and if you do we're always glad to uh make it possible to to send a book your way so we have uh, i think we've got leading the starbucks way right here available we'd be glad to send it to you so if you do share um this uh, somehow some way um then we'll just let us know and we'll, we'll make sure you get a copy of that and then the final thing i'd like to send you off with um, uh, is if you would, uh, again, I don't even know where I went with that. So share it. Also, please, globalgurus.org, customer service. If you find value in what we do, please vote for us at globalgurus.org on the customer service tab. It helps us maintain our platform. Finally, I just wanted to acknowledge that coming up in the weeks ahead, some amazing guests, much like Bill. Um, those guests uh, include, um, let's see, we've got a Martin Lindstrom, oh, my gosh, Martin is an amazing, and Carmine Gallo, both of which are coming up in future uh, broadcasts. So we're looking forward to having those. Bill, thank you for being my friend uh, and thank you for helping the world communicate more effectively uh, and connect with one another more powerfully.
0: You're my valued friend and you're a a stellar role model as a communicator.
1: Well, that's a, that's a scary proposition right there. Everybody, thank you. Have a great week.